Hey, welcome, everybody. So good to see you. Welcome, everybody, here in Waukesha, over in Pewaukee, online, uh, uh, wherever you're located. Thanks for inviting us into uh, your home. Uh, great to have you uh, here. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes Christians get mad at each other. Yeah, Christians argue. Sometimes they get into disagreements. Sometimes we really uh, go at it uh, with each other, maybe in private, maybe in public. Tom Rainer is an author and church leader. He took a Twitter survey and he asked about church fights. He asked this question, what are some of the craziest church fights that uh, you've ever had? And he listed some real fights in local churches. Uh, One church had a fight or a conflict about which picture of Jesus to put in the lobby. Yeah, I don't know how you settle that one, but it disrupted their church. Another church had a dispute about whether the worship leader should wear shoes uh, during the uh, worship service. And so uh, Morgan, uh, Logan, over there in uh, Pewaukee, uh, be warned, okay? Uh, Wear your shoes, and uh, we don't want to see your feet, all right? A couple churches had fights about uh, communion. One church had a a dispute break out because they used uh, cran grape instead of grape juice for communion. Another church had an argument about whether to have gluten-free communion bread or not, which uh, seemed kind of weird to me. I always thought gluttony uh, was a sin. Um, Hey, I thought that was good. That's the best I got for you. It's downhill from there. Last but not least, an argument in a church about whether to have deviled eggs at uh, church uh, meals. And there is a right answer to that. You can, as long as you have angel food cake for dessert, okay? Right? But uh, you know what was the most common issue that churches argue about, number one? Number one was the temperature in the auditorium. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's why I'm grateful that I've never had to have responsibility (laughs) for setting the the temperature in this room. I mean, that's a tough assignment, and there's no way to make everybody happy, right? But uh, I think our facility team does a pretty good job. Do you feel good in here? Yeah, let's give it up for them. Yeah. Show some appreciation. Well done. Yeah. Nice job. Matteo right here. Well done. Appreciate him. Now, those examples may seem kind of small and, and petty, but my guess is that if you're around church or any group of people for a length of time, you're going to run into conflict and uh, anger. I mean, you stick around church long enough and you're going to get mad about something. You're going to get mad at somebody, and it might not be a laughing matter. Now, I don't know what it might be for you. Maybe you had a conflict with someone in your life group. Maybe you had a, a political disagreement with somebody, but Christians wouldn't argue about politics, right? Maybe you got mad about a decision a church leader made. Maybe you felt like someone ignored an issue. Maybe somebody said a careless word to you that stung and left a, a mark. If you're around people long enough, you're going to get hurt. And you're going to get mad. In fact, for the next 20 minutes, I want you to think about something or someone that made you mad, and you're still mad about it. It's unresolved. Because if you stick around church long enough, you're going to get mad about something. You're going to get mad at someone. And that's why we called this series, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Last week, we talked about mad at me, and we learned that, we can, that, that sometimes the person we get angriest with is ourselves, but we can release those regrets when we embrace God's grace. Next week, we're going to talk about mad at them, and we're going to look at ways that we get angry at the world, you know, whoever them 
might be for you, maybe people of different religions, different denominations, different ethnicities, different political affiliations. We're going to talk about what to do when we're mad at them. And then the final week, we're calling it Student Takeover Weekend. This is going to be really cool. I've never done this before. Uh, Garrett and Isaac and many high school and middle school students, they're taking over the whole weekend service. And it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Don't miss Student Takeover Weekend, August 15th and 16th. But today we're talking about mad at us. And, and when I say us, I'm talking about the church, not the building, the people. Those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. And if you stick around church long enough, you're going to get mad at somebody. You're going to get mad about something. And here's why it's important for us to talk about this. Because something really important, something really precious is at stake. And that's our unity. Uh, The Apostle Paul talked about the importance of unity and how to work toward it in the fourth chapter of his letter to the church at Ephesus. Take a look at what he says here. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Notice how he says, he says, keep the unity, okay? We don't create the unity. Uh, God gives it to us as a gift through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Our job is to protect and cultivate the unity that God's already given to us. But it's not easy, and that's why Paul says make every effort. I mean, you don't fall back into unity. It takes determination. It takes effort. And unity is not just a nice thing, a good thing, an optional thing. It's a command. That's why, that's why Paul says make every effort to keep it. Now, when Paul says unity, he doesn't mean uniformity. The goal is not that we all you know, look alike and talk alike and dress alike. The goal is not that we all uh, vote the same way, dress the same way, listen to the exact same music. That's uniformity, not unity. God made us different. And not only, I mean, should we be okay with those differences, we should celebrate them. I mean, we're from different backgrounds. We've got different, different talents, different personalities. We see the world in different ways. And we're better Together, we're going to go faster and further for Jesus together than on our own. But maybe you're asking, shouldn't we at least agree, you know, about some things? Absolutely. Absolutely. We have certain core beliefs that unite us together as a church. I love this statement. It goes like this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, love. Now, there are some essentials, okay? You know, Jesus uh, died on a cross for our sins. He resurrected from the grave. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. That belief, that's a core belief that unites our church. That's essential. But most Christians don't argue about essential things. They argue about non-essential things. You know, which picture of Jesus are we going to put in the lobby? But we can have different preferences and opinions about non-essential things and have peace and unity in Jesus. Unity, unity is not uniformity. Unity is much deeper than uniformity. Here's why this is so important and why, why Paul says make every effort to, to keep it. And that's because unity is mission critical. Unity is not something we can say, you know, we'll work on that later on. We'll get to that eventually. No. Unity is mission critical. I want to show you two major commands that Jesus gives us, and we cannot do them. We can't do them if we're angry. The first one's called the Great Commission. Right before he ascended to heaven, Jesus told his followers, he told us, he said, go 
and make disciples of all nations. Jesus says, go and tell more people about me. Get after it. Go and make more followers of me. It's an exciting mission. But if we're mad and we're fighting each other, we're not going to be able to do what Jesus called us to do. People are going to look at us and they're going to go, why would I want to believe what you believe? Why would I want to be part of your church when you can't get along with each other? Here's a second major command Jesus gave us. Jesus tells us how to go. We call this the great commandment. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, hey, don't just go and tell people about me. Love them. Love your neighbor. We have to demonstrate his love to them. But anger is so powerful. You can be angry at just one person. And it colors every area of your life and you're not able to live out love. We cannot do what Jesus calls us to do if we're angry. And Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that unity is mission critical. And that's why he said a specific prayer for us. It's recorded in John chapter 17. On the night before his crucifixion, he must have had a million things going through his mind. But Jesus focused his prayer on one thing. Look at what he prayed. That they, uh, they is us, okay? That they may be one as we are one, I in, in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. So Jesus, night before his crucifixion, he looks up to his father and he prays for our oneness. Our oneness as a church. That it would look like the oneness of the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. That would be a profound level of unity. Wouldn't you agree? But notice, that's not the point. He goes on in his prayer, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus says when the world sees us getting along and loving each other, and when the world sees our unity, it's gonna convince an unbelieving world that Jesus loves them and died for them and raised from the dead. Unity is mission critical for the church. That's why Paul says, make every effort, make every effort to keep it. So what do we do with our anger? I mean, if you're part of a church, you know, if you stick around church long enough or any group of people, you're gonna get mad about something. You're gonna get mad at, at someone. So how do we deal with anger and stay unified and on mission with Jesus. Well, Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 4 to give us some very practical but challenging teaching about how to deal with anger as Jesus followers. We're going to pick it up in chapter 4, verse 26, and uh, you're going to like how it starts. Here's what he says. He says, be angry. Yeah, some of us are like, yeah, I could do that one. I'm, I'm good at that. I'm, I'm just doing what the Bible says. Be angry. But Paul goes on and he says, be angry and do not sin. You know what I love about this verse? It's so realistic. It doesn't say, don't ever get angry. You're going to get angry. Jesus got angry. But the command says it's possible to get angry and not sin and damage our unity. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, that makes me curious because I know when I get angry, I have a tendency to do things and say things that I regret. And so Paul goes on, and uh, in the next sentence, he tells us what, how to actually do this. Uh, be angry and, and do not sin, he says, and do not, do not let the sun go down, next slide, while you are still angry. Paul says, deal with your anger today. Take care of it today. Now, many of us have probably heard that verse before, applied to marriage, right? If somebody gave you marriage advice, 
probably that right there. You know, don't ever go to bed angry with each other. And so some of us, we stayed up until 3 a.m. You know, we're barely keeping our eyes open until we're like, okay, honey, we've got to resolve this so we can go to sleep, right? I'm poking a little fun at that advice, but that is great advice for a marriage or any relationship because here's what happens if we don't deal with our anger. If we just ignore it, if we bury it, anger is like milk that turns sour overnight. Anger turns into bitterness, resentment, rage, and disunity. And you can carry that hurt and anger and bitterness for years. And it accumulates in your heart. And it makes you an angry person. It can make you mad at other people who had nothing to do with it. There's an old saying that to hurt people hurt people. In other words, hurting people have a tendency to hurt other people. And if you never heal from the hurt, if you never heal from the anger, you're going to bleed on people who did not cut you. Think about it this way. I brought along one of these uh, uh, financial ledger books. Hey, you ever seen one of these? People used to use these, and some people still do, where you write down your, your financial information in one of these books, and you uh, carry it around with you. You write down all the debts that other people owe you, you know, in your financial uh, ledger book. And here's what you find underneath anger. Anger says, you owe me. You record the debts that other people owe you in a ledger book because they hurt you. Maybe they uh, hurt your reputation. Maybe they hurt your feelings. Maybe they hurt your friendship. Maybe they hurt your childhood. Maybe they hurt your kids. Maybe they hurt your marriage. Maybe they hurt your career. I could go on and on. And so what we do is we take out a pen and we write them down. And we list all the debts that other people owe us. And uh, we carry those debts with us. And if you don't deal with your anger and hurt, days can turn into weeks and weeks can turn into months and months can turn into years. And before you know it, you've got a book that is just filled with debts and, and anger. And you don't realize how much this weighs you down. This is why sometimes people overreact. Maybe, uh, let's say you're mad at, at somebody right now and it's actually, uh, it, it's actually something small. Yeah, it's actually something small. It should feel light. It should feel like a, a, a little thing. But because you've got a whole book that is filled with anger uh, of things that people have done to hurt you and you've never dealt with those things. You know what you do to that other, other person? You, uh, you, you take the full force of the book filled with anger and you just slam that on the other person. But the debt is with someone from your past and you've never dealt with it. We can carry anger with us for years and years and years. And that's why Paul says this so adamantly. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it today. Take care of it today. Jesus said the same thing. Look at what Jesus said about this. He said, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your uh, gift. But I want you to notice something. Uh, Jesus taught this in Galilee as part of the Sermon on the Mount. But the altar that he refers to is located in Jerusalem, 80 miles to the south. And so he says, if you have anger or tension in a relationship and you need to walk 80 miles to go and fix it, go and do it. 
Go and do it. Can you imagine walking 80 miles to make things right in a, in a relationship? But many of us, we don't need to walk 80 miles, right? We just need to walk across the room. We just need to take out our phone and make sure our finger goes to the right place. Jesus and Paul tell us to deal with anger immediately. Take care of it today. Make peace today. Paul goes on to tell us what's at stake. He says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Look at this. And, and do not give the devil a foothold. When you, when you carry anger with you and you refuse to, to, to deal with it, you give, you give Satan, your enemy, a foothold. You know what a foothold is? A foothold is room or space for Satan to operate in your life, in your home, in your family, in your church. When you carry anger and you refuse to deal with it, it's like telling Satan, come on in. Come on into my home. Come on into my family. Come on into my church. And Satan would love nothing more than to destroy the peace in your home and in your church because he knows you can't do what Jesus calls you to do when you're angry. So what do we do? Well, this is where Paul gets real clear and he tells us what to do. Look at what he says in verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. He just lists every, every expression of anger and you're like, Paul, I want to get rid of it. I don't want to carry this book anymore. How do I get rid of it? And Paul goes on to tell us, but it may seem, his advice, his teaching may seem insensitive at, at first, but stick with me. Here, here's what he says. Here's how you get rid of anger. Forgiving, forgiving each other. You forgive. It's as simple as that. You know, you know what forgiveness means? Anger says, you owe me. But forgiveness literally means you cancel a debt. You get out that ledger book, right? And uh, you turn to a page and uh, you literally take it and you just rip it out of there, and you just, you just tear that up. You say, you know what? You owe me. You owe me a debt, but I'm canceling it. It is done. It is, it is paid for, paid in full. Even if they never asked for it, even if they haven't done anything to solve it, you cancel the debt, and you release your anger. And maybe that seems insensitive to some of us because of what you've been through. Maybe someone hurt you really deeply, but it's only insensitive until you read the rest of the verse. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Do you remember how God forgave you through Jesus? As followers of Jesus, we just dish out the forgiveness that we receive from God. But you know why it's so hard for us to do that? I think it's because of Four misunderstandings, four common misunderstandings that hold us back from forgiving and releasing our anger. Here's the first one. This is probably the biggest one. Forgiveness means, people think forgiveness means I'm saying that what they did is okay. If I forgive them, I'm saying that it's okay. But that's not true. When, when God forgave you for what you did, did he say what you did was okay? No. When you forgive someone, you're not saying it's okay you're beginning the process of healing your heart from anger. Think, think about it this way. Anger doesn't change the heart of others. It only destroys your heart. You know, you, you, you hold back from uh, releasing anger because, uh, or releasing your anger and forgiving because you, you think that's going to punish somebody else by staying angry. But you're just punishing 
yourself, actually. Here's number two. Forgiving is the same as trusting. We think, I can't forgive until I learn to trust this person. But forgiveness and trust are two entirely different things. You can forgive someone instantaneously and not trust them maybe ever again for the rest of your life. Forgiveness depends on you. You can forgive someone no matter what they do. Trust depends on them. They have to earn your trust. Forgiveness and trust, don't mix them up. They're two different things. Here's the third one. Forgiveness means forgetting. Until I forget this offense, I, I, I can't forgive. But you can forgive and maybe never forget. You, you forgive because you can't forget. Here's number four. And this one's probably bigger than we think. Forgiveness feels like I'm being weak. But it's anything but weak. Some of the strongest people I know are people who have forgiven crazy offenses. Uh, the weakest people are those who hold on to unforgiveness and anger boils in their heart. Unforgiveness makes you weak. Forgiveness might be the greatest display of strength that the world has ever seen. And the reason I can say that is because of what it says in verse 32. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. The greatest display of strength the world has ever seen is when our Father in heaven sent his son Jesus to die for us. And so when you forgive, it is a massive display of strength. It makes you more like Jesus. And it points people to the truth that Jesus is Lord and Savior. But many people have so much weakness because anger is destroying their heart. But when you forgive, it renews you. It makes you a new person. Remember we said earlier that uh, hurt people hurt people? But look at what Paul says, forgiven people forgive people. And maybe the reason you're having such a hard time forgiving that other person is because you've forgotten how God has forgiven you. Others of us, maybe we have a different issue. Maybe your issue with forgiving is that you haven't really received God's forgiveness in your life. You've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and, and, and been baptized. And the reason why is because you're like, well, I've done so many bad things. I need to earn God's forgiveness. I've got to do a lot of great things in my life so that God will forgive me. But that's not how it works. God will forgive you right now. It's a free gift. You're saved by grace. But if you hold back from receiving God's forgiveness, it's going to be very difficult to give other people what you yourself have not received. Or let me put it this way. If you're trying to earn God's forgiveness, you're going to make everyone else earn yours. You know, you, you owe me. And until you pay that debt back in, in full, I'm going to stay angry. But um, some offenses can never be repaid. Some debts can never be repaid. And anger, it puts you in a prison. What if forgiveness is the only way to find peace in your life and in, and in our church? Here's what you do. You remember how God has forgiven you and you Extend the same grace to the other person and you cancel their debt and it'll free your heart. Somebody said it this way, forgiveness is like pulling up the anchor so that you can sail and you just feel that weight lifted off of you. Some of you probably remember the uh, tragic event that happened in June 2015 at Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, a shooter went in and killed nine people on a Wednesday night at their uh, Bible study. But maybe what, you, maybe what you don't remember, maybe you didn't hear this, a few days later at the uh, arraignment hearing for the shooter, uh, several family members took the stand. 
several family members of victims. And uh, talk about anger and hurt. They would never see their loved one again. They would never have a conversation with them again. They could never spend time with them again. But several of them, speaking through their tears and pain, offered forgiveness to the one who certainly didn't deserve it. Uh, through a shaky voice, uh, one elderly woman actually invited him to her Wednesday night Bible study. Who does that? Uh, the, the journalist who covered the hearing were speechless as they watched an astounding example of forgiveness. Forgiveness is never easy. It's a journey. But it is the pathway to dealing with anger. It, it is how we protect our hearts and our unity. It's how we show the world uh, the strength and the peace of Jesus. Forgiven people forgive. And so I want to give you a moment today to determine your next step. For some of us, your next step is to just embrace God's grace so that you're able to give forgiveness to others. For some of us, your next step is, is baptism. Um, making your own personal decision to accept Jesus as your forgiver and leader. Going all in with Jesus. You know, the number one comment that people, we hear people make after baptism, they say, I feel like a new person. You know why they say that? Because they are. We have a baptism opportunity next, uh, next, next weekend called the Baptism Bash. It's outdoors. It's at both campuses. And uh, if you'd like to get baptized, we would love to do that for you. It's real simple. We've got everything that you need. We just need you to fill out the welcome card online or stop at the Welcome Center in the uh, lobby. Let us know. We'd love to include you. But like I said earlier, if you attend church long enough, you're going to get mad about something. You're going to get mad at somebody. Who is that person for you? Who's that person that you're angry with? Is it a family member or a friend? Is it somebody in the room with you right now? Is it somebody from your life group? Is it somebody in your ministry team? Maybe it's someone from your past. What would it look like for you to extend grace? And cancel that debt. Not because they deserve it but because God has canceled your debt. And God says, this is how you get rid of anger so that you can do what I have called you to do. Maybe it's time to uh, send a letter, send a text, make a phone call, grab coffee. Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to share communion. Our communion is open to everyone because Jesus invites everyone to receive his gift of grace. If you're watching online, this is a great time to grab a, a beverage, maybe some juice and a cracker or bread or something solid, solid like that. Uh, if you're in the room, we've got communion available on the table in the back of the room. During communion, ask yourself, who am I angry with? And what's the next step? that God wants me to take. Let me pray for us, and then when you're ready, you can go ahead and take communion. God, I know that uh, many of us in the room, many of us watching right now, probably feel some hurt and anger in our heart. All of us deal with it. Maybe we're mad about something that happened yesterday or maybe a decade ago. God, I ask 
would your spirit just do a work in our heart right now that only you can do? We, we can't heal. We can't heal our heart on our own. But God, thank you for inviting us to receive your grace through Jesus so that we can release our anger. Help us to be the kind of people who extend that grace and forgiveness to others so that we can do what you've called us to do and the world will see our unity and know and experience your love, your grace, your power. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.